everybody, this is your host, Aram Mokumuf, and you're listening yet to another interview on our product innovation series. Uh, today I'm joined by Tom O'Neill, who's the founder and CEO of Parallax, uh, which is a resourcing, forecasting, and analytics platform that helps digital agencies like, like the one I have and software consultancies grow. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's awesome to be here. Great to talk to you. Cool. Uh, to kind of kick it off, you know, when we had a chance to connect before, uh, there was a certain topic of discussion that I really wanted to kind of get into with you today, and that was um, the idea of a product advisory council. So, to my understanding, before you started Parallax, one of the key things that you did really well, in my opinion, and successfully was uh, before building a product, you um, you focused on having a, a strong advisory council. So, can you let's just start off by first telling the audience what is a product advisory council and when did you exactly start it? Yeah, thanks. Um, I appreciate the kind words. I, I, I do think it's critical to get great advice on where the product should go from people in the industry who might use the product. And that's, that's where we started. We said, you know, I, prior to building this product, I spent 14 years building a, a company that's very similar to yours. We did digital project product development for all kinds of different companies and had a lot of experience in that. And I knew there was this gap in this tool uh, that I wanted to build. But I also, as a student of user experience design, knew that like my own perspective on where that gap was, was narrow. And um, I wanted a wider perspective. And so the first thing that we did was we looked out to the industry and, and we picked 40 companies that we really thought represented uh, best in class, like companies that we admired and we'd worked alongside for years to, and understood like, you know, uh, that they do quality work, they hire great people and they, they might have a great perspective on the same problem. And I personally reached out and said, hey, I, I wanna build a, pro a product that would serve companies like yours to solve these kind of sets of problems. Um, would you spend 30 minutes with me just to kind of, understand how you see this problem and maybe how you're solving it. And it was really easy for me to get those meetings because um, I, I spoke to that founder, uh, that COO, the people that were trying to get after. Um, I spoke to them with some empathy for where their role was and I spoke to them with some experience. And in those meetings, um, those introductory calls, I said, hey, I, you know, I'm trying to recruit people for this project advisory council. And with that, what I want you to do is like expose to me like how you are solving these problems by allowing me to interview people on your team who are working in resource planning every day, allowing me to kind of understand from your leadership team's perspective um, what foresight or insight they might be missing, uh, and, and really go deeper and wider into the problem set that we were trying to discover. And, and um, you know, I think a lot of people. Uh, enjoy being a part of building something. I think that uh, the idea of being an advisor to a product development team is is appealing for them. To, and, and that's kind of how we positioned it as like, hey, you're going to get to have some input on how we build this and we're not going to try to sell it to you. We really just want to know, like, from your perspective, how this should be built if you were to build it yourself, kind of. And and um, it was really easy to get people to sign up for that because, again, I think um, people love to help and, and people like to uh, 
they love to use that that subject matter expertise that they've they've worked so hard to develop over the years. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, that's how we did it. it. Was pretty you know grassroots and um, you know just a little bit of hustle. Yeah, and uh, like doing customer development early on in terms of finding the companies and then reaching out to them. Like, what were some of the you know channels or methods you used? Was it just like email outreach, cold outreach? Was there with a warm introductions to some of those companies that you ended up working with? Like, what was like the most successful mechanism for you? All of the above, I think. Um, the first, it started by identifying the ones that we thought were the best targets and really understanding why we thought they were the best target. Because then we would use all of those channels you described until we've got the introduction. Um, but we were doing it from a point of, um, yeah, we, we knew about them. You know, We were saying, hey, I've heard from so-and-so that you're awesome for this reason, or we, we believe you can provide this very specific insight on our product. That's why I'm reaching out to you. And, and being very like high touch and personalized, you know, whether it was a direct like LinkedIn message or, you know, I'd, I'd find a way to get their email address or it was a warm introduction through someone I knew. The important part was that we were very deliberate and intentional about helping them see why we thought they were so important to the mission that we were on. Okay, great. And uh, so once you kind of got the people on the product advisory council, um, how did you run those sessions? How frequently? Um, mm-hmm. And then most importantly, what I'd love to know is like, what kind of insights did you get out of that council that really helped, you know, with the product development side of things? Yeah, so for each one, we kind of had like an onboarding process. So the first thing that we would do in onboarding is do a series of interviews with key stakeholders from their team. And those were usually like quick 30 minute interviews um, where we'd, we'd schedule them, starting with kind of that CEO, but then people who do the specific roles that might use our product in the future. Um, and then post that onboarding, um, we would do uh, at first we, we did like a monthly um, meetup. Um, we moved that eventually to quarterly. <laughs> uh, and those just, you know, because as the company gets bigger, it's harder to manage. But in those meetups, uh, we would invite people and we put a lot of work into building a big attendance into those meetups. And so just like we did with our original outreach or, or maybe like you might do in like a sales motion in your product company, we we had a list and we knew who want, we wanted to be there and, and we were very deliberate about trying to make sure that they were there. And that started by, you know, we'd say like, uh, we'd get a few of the key people and figure out when they could meet and make sure that we picked a date that enough of the kind of influencers, if you will, were sure to be there. And then we could like email the other constituents and say, hey, you know, we're meeting on March 3rd and you know, your friend John has already committed. He, you know, we'd love to see you there. We kind of created this like FOMO for these events that, that worked really well. And, um, and then a part of the appeal for these events was that a, they were going to be involved in a workshop to help design a per- certain part of our app. Um, but B, and this was usually the precursor, we would have like an open like working session uh, about the specific business problem that we were trying to solve um, that was kind of unrelated to our product. And so like for an example, how do you think about project level accounting? It was like a big you know problem set that we were trying to break down. 
And many of these owners and operators didn't have a chance to discuss that specific business problem amongst a bunch of peers that they respected, you know, until we offered this platform to them. And so they got a lot of value out of just having that discussion about how do you think about project accounting with a bunch of other CEOs or COOs of similar sized companies, right? And, or sometimes bigger or more mature companies. And that ended up being the key to these like meetups is that they were getting a lot of value out of it from a industry knowledge perspective on their own. And we were able to just continue to, to pull the string on that and, and build even more like intelligence about what the market desired mm-hmm. in, in designing our product. Okay. And, uh, from all these sessions and these workshops that you ran, I'm sure there was like one or two big, uh, call to Jesus moments or whatever you want to yeah. call them, uh, in terms of, uh, understanding maybe something that you had a big assumption against or something that you totally miscalculated. Was there anything that stands out that really kind of yeah. helped sh- shape the product to what it is today? Absolutely. I think one of the biggest things that we learned is that these, these owners, operators, these people who are in the, in the business, that they really wanted us to stay in our lane, you know, where the rest of the products on the market that we compete against, they're, they're more monolithic and they're trying to do all of the things, you know, they said, just stay in your lane, like do that one thing super well, and then automate the workflow between these other systems and resist the urge to, to, build the functionality that exists in our other platforms. Like, our, you know, we integrate with project management tools and timesheet systems and invoicing systems. And they said, don't build that stuff. Like that stuff's already done. Like no one's done what you're doing really well. Do that really well. Let us do the other things. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I was, I was happy to, to learn that through this, but to the level of like, I didn't expect for it to be to that level of like, they felt extremely passionate about it. And uh, um, yeah, that was a huge aha moment. And I think that um, one of the, one of the best quotes I got out of that uh, was that there was this, um, a former uh, chief operating officer of IDEO. He said that Tom, like nobody ever, leaves a banging nightclub when it's on fire or when it's going really well, not on fire, they, they probably leave, but nobody leaves a banging nightclub because the doors are unlocked. If, if your system does what it's doing really well, like people are going to stay using it. You don't have to be worried about us accessing data in your system and another system or not being the source of truth for everything. Like if you're doing what you're doing really, really well, no one's going to leave. And so you don't have to worry about control. And I, I thought that was a really good way to think about it. And I think he's right. And so that's one thing that we learned that I'm, I'm really proud of. Mm, no, that's really interesting. Um, and then from, from these, from the product advisory council, uh, or maybe through your leadership events that, that you had and, and, and you used to maybe still run, did any of those relationships lead into client relationships um, for for Parallax at the end of the day? Certainly. Yeah, I'd say, you know, I would say all of them, but maybe half of them. Um, and I, it, it literally was not our intent, like, honestly. But yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. Because um, we're always kind of trying to figure out with our different client projects, what are good 
mechanisms or channels um, to explore early on in a product ideation stage in terms of good ways to tap into your target market, right? Um, well, you, you know, I should mention quickly that like one of the things that we did was, you know, we had these 40 companies to start with. And, and as we like learned more about each of these companies, we realized that they were inclusive of much larger market segment than we had originally planned to, to go after. Like it would, we had very large companies. We had very diverse companies. They're all in like the same general market, but through that product advisory council, we realized like in order to get our product to market very quickly, we had to narrow our focus. So we went from like, I would say probably, you know, one large segment and we segment and we broke it down into probably 15 smaller segments. And we realized that there was like three of those smaller segments that we could get a minimum viable product out and, and built within six months to serve a smaller segment. You know, we could uh, sell them faster. You know, that size company would have a, a, a sales cycle that was short enough. Um, and we could onboard them and get them to a point where we're getting ROI in a, in a short uh, time. And so, again, we had this rubric that we created that was based on how fast can we build a product that helps them? How fast can we sell it to them, this kind of company? Mm -hmm. And then how fast can they get return on investment? We scored each of those companies in our 40 by those three things and determined that like there's a focus area that we need to start with. And that was like critical to our success because we had within 12 months of like starting to write code, we, we had, um, uh, you know, we had 200 K, 200 K in revenue, um, from the, from some of those companies that were in our initial focus. And, and part of the way that we did that is that we offered the companies that fit, we called it the Goldilocks zone, those companies that fit. We said, Hey, we'll give you a free trial for six months. Hmm. Um, if you would be the first beta customers of this and they loved that they've become some of our best customers. And then at the end of that beta, we converted them to paying customers. And that's how we got, you know, I think it was actually 250 K within the first six months, we did six months of build. We converted those, gave them six months of beta, converted them to paying customers all in with one, one year. And, um, again, uh, it also taught us that now there's this, subset of this larger market that we'll eventually go after that we can, you know, in a very short order, sell on board and bring to value other Goldilocks customers. And it was really informative for us. No, that's fantastic. And a follow up question to that, like, um, I sometimes have debates with people about, you know, when you want to bring on somebody to do participate in like your customer development process. Mm -hmm. The idea of like whether or not you should incentivize them with like gifts and gift cards and stuff like that versus something else. Like some some people say that you shouldn't actually offer them anything. Uh, some people say no, you gotta give them something to give them their time. And I just want to kind of explore that with you. I really liked what you're doing, what you did with like the six month free trial. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, what else have you kind of seen or tried out? Yeah. I, I agree with the people that say you shouldn't need to incentivize them. Honestly, I think that like uh, the right people that you want to influence your product, they're passionate about the business problem and they're going to get value personally 
if you position it that way, out of like working with other smart people like them in solving the business problem. Again, you know, imagine, um, you know, ours, ours is a resource planning tool. So imagine there's, you know, these 40 chief operating officer type people, they all have their version of a re resource planning spreadsheet. And we created a, a safe space for them to come together and kind of compare notes, you know, and say, how are you doing it? How are we doing it? And then, and, and like, learn from each other what's working. And, you know, if I have to like, you know, buy you dinner to like, want to be excited about <laughs> talking about this nerdy spreadsheet thing, like you're probably not going to be a great influence on our product. You know, if you just kind of intrinsically see value in like learning and developing your own perspective on this with a group of people, you're, you're awesome for our, for our project advisory council. Does that make sense? Ah, totally. I, I could agree with you more. It's just like, a, I think it's, it's not really a debate. So I'm glad we're on the same page. Um, <laughs> All right. Next question I have, and you, you, I'm going to bring up a quote you, you mentioned when we spoke last time, which is that people say that they speak to customers, but they don't do it right. Um, what's the biggest mistake that you've seen people make when it comes to that? And how do you make it right? I think that the biggest mistake that people make when trying to talk to their, their users or their customers is, um, they, they don't approach the conversation with uh, a wide enough perspective like let me give you an example um a let facebook you know i think we all know that facebook the customer isn't me the consumer who's like posting photos of my children right we we know that the customer is the people who advertise to me <laughs> the consumer right they're the ones who pay the bill and so i think that if i were a great user experience designer at facebook I would approach any um, any design challenge related to the human interface for me, the end user, as uh, from the from the through a lens of like how are we going to engage this user to serve our customer. Um, I, I think it's important to have that like wider perspective when like interacting with users. Um, to take it back to our product, we the primary user of our product is a project manager or like a resource planning person though, like, and they have a lot of advice for us on how the product should function. And we listen and we talk to those people all the time, but we take a very deliberate effort to say, okay, what would the COO do? What would the CEO do? Yeah. We want these project managers, these resource planners to attack their work inside parallax with the, you know, the benefit of like uh, a perspective that the CEO or COO might have, because that's going to make our customers business better. If they have that wider angle view, if they, if they can really understand more about the big picture of the business. And so sometimes that means that they might ask for widget a, but we can help them frame a priority on widget B because it serves that bigger picture. And even though like for them personally, they'd like to make their job easier for widget A, they'd trade that off um, for widget B because they know it, it fits the bigger vision. And so, yeah, I think that number one people thing that people do wrong when talking to customers is they they just don't think about it from like the, the wider angle view from the business perspective. They don't think about the business objective um, when they're talking to individual users enough, in my opinion. 
And so um, that that must require you to have a really good understanding of what the business operators, the CEO, the C-suite really need in order for you to make sense of what these project managers who are maybe like the end users using a day-to-day uh, care about, right? And so how 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 do you bridge that world because like for mm-hmm. example um project managers might give you tons of ideas oh, yeah i want this i want that but how do you actually like listen digest inform yourself whether or not okay do they really need that or like associate to like the actual the business problem that mm-hmm. you know the c-suite actually cares about without without impeding or like you know blocking you know their point of view on on uh on on that request mm-hmm. very carefully <laughs> no i i think that it's it um it is a it is a design challenge uh usually the way that our design process works and we use our product advisory council for this is if we're going to de- design a new module uh for example we're we are going to start uh with like scoring that like new module on what the overall business value of this module is kind of on the higher level like vision for our product uh like uh scale right because like our product brings very specific like three or four bullets of like business value on a high level right which are related to forecasting and um, and such right and so we'll say like which theme does this module kind of represent and then who are the stakeholders at the leadership level that have a good perspective on how that how that value is applied like down the chain you know so we interview that that's that senior stakeholder first we that's the first set of interviews we do and then we we take that perspective and then we use that to design the interviews for the individual contributors who will actually use the product because because we we know that like those people on the front line they're super smart they're they're closer to the problem they're closer to the people to the projects to all this stuff uh but they just don't have that wide angle view as naturally as these people that are in the more leadership roles so we bring that light that wide angle view to those interviews with the individual contributors with you know some like higher level user story um, and kind of higher level business objective and they pick it up really quick it's not like I have to like teach them that there's this business value that they know, but then when we frame all the questions from that point of view, from that angle and help them prioritize in the moment saying like, you know, this versus that, which one better serves these goals. They're, they're so, they're so smart. Like it's, it's not that hard, you know, but I think a lot of people don't approach it that way. Right. They don't, they, they think more about like, well, you're the expert, you're the user, tell me everything but they don't put it in context with all of the like the the greater picture in mind mm-hmm. and so you know you, you're you suffer from like frequency bias or recency bias you're you're suffering from like you know i don't know like who yeah all the different things because you're you're putting them on the spot if you can if you could set them up to win, yeah. they'll exceed your expectations. <laughs> no, for sure. For sure. Okay. Um, uh, next question I have is talking about 
kind of what it takes to successfully build a product, right? Um, I think it's a very large open-ended question, but uh, we know that the best products are the ones that are carefully built with the right principles and the right purpose and the right pain points in mind, which are quite clearly, which should be quite clearly defined. If there was a, a way that you would look at it, what, what would you say is the best way to approach on clearly defining what the, what what are like the initial foundational elements that it takes to build any product? You know, I I, I feel like a broken record saying this, but I think it's like finding that group of people that you trust to help you narrow something that is you know quite big into something that is achievable and has the highest impact in the shortest period of time. You know, the, the, the term minimum viable product is thrown around a lot. Um, and I think that uh, in, in my old firm where we built soft, custom software all the time, we used, to, we used to scoff at what we called like genius design, where it's like one person, they believe so strongly and they're such a genius about this problem that they're just gonna design it themselves, you know, with like a limited, you know, and selective input from other people that I just don't believe in that. It, I don't believe it works. You know, I think it's okay to paint a big picture vision and say, this is where I think we should go. But I really think you need to validate that vision with a, a wider perspective because we, we have really smart people working for us. And I'd say geniuses, but like on our own, you know, we're limited, but as a larger group of people, uh, it's pretty easy to see the pattern so quickly. Yeah, I, you know, that approach for us, it, it leads to so many fun moments in our product you know, journey so far. I don't know how many times people have said, it looks like you've like hacked our Google Sheets because like that's exactly how we've been trying to do this, you know? And it's not an accident. I've seen hundreds of those Google Sheets, you know? And, and those, again, the patterns are so easy to identify, you know? So, so yeah, I think... Uh, it doesn't have to be 12 months or six, 16 months of like discovery. It just has to be very deliberate. Um, and I think you have to, you have to really want that outside perspective. You know, you have to really think like, I don't want to do this, the genius design way because, because I know I'm smart, but what makes me, a genius is that I can ask really good questions of these other people. Um, and I can, you know, build this wider perspective because I can engage them in that conversation. That's what makes us smart. We, we asked very good questions that people wanted to answer and were excited about answering, you know, yeah. sure. We had a, a point of view. Sure. We brought that perspective to those conversations. That's what helped shape the visions, but but we really did want their input, you know, and that's, I think what separated us from how other people do MVP. No, that's great. No, uh, I've actually just through you and maybe a few other people, I've only ever heard of the product advisory council approach. So you definitely did it. I think in my opinion, the, the correct way. So kudos to you. Um, Thank uh, you. Next, next question I have, Tom is you've been building product a long time, whether that was through the agency, uh, experience you have or now with parallax were there through that time were there any big wake-up call moments that you went through that really kind of changed the way you do something maybe like one or two that really kind of come to mind man 
That's a that's a big question because it seems like every day. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, I think uh, a lesson that I've learned through this iteration, um, but I felt like I've learned a few times now, um, and I would I would love to not continue to relearn is that trust your gut. Um, you know, I think that there's been a couple of times through this this current journey where my gut said that a decision that we were making about, you know, kind of like a, maybe let's say like a, a technology decision, you know, I, my gut said that we were maybe over-engineering something, but I was trying to be a empowering leader. And I just said, okay, let's, let's try to do it, you know? Uh, and it turned out that I was right. <laughs> you know, it was a, it was a, the wrong decision, you know, and I don't fault our team for that. I, I think that looking back, I don't necessarily regret the decision. I think that we all learned together from that decision and it, it, it had value, even though it didn't go the, the way that we had hoped, you know? Um, but if I had it to do again, I hope that I trust my gut because while there was value in the mistake, it, it wasn't really enough to offset <laughs> the, the cost of the mistake, you know? And so, um, you know, as leaders, um, sometimes we have to make tough decisions that are not going to be super popular with our product teams. I, I hope that you don't have to pull that card too often, but you should sometimes if it, if your gut says that that's the right decision. Um, again, if you're doing that every day, you're probably in the wrong seat, <laughs> but, but if you have to do it from time to time, you know, I think it's, it's okay. And, um, and I think your team will thank you for it in the end, even though that the short term, it might not be as fun. Awesome. Uh, okay, I'm gonna jump into uh, this fireside format approach that okay. we have, which All is right. quick uh, question answers. Uh, so try to keep the responses short. Concise. Can... I'll do my best. <laughs> um, first question I have. Uh, I always like saying this one because it throws people off. What would you say is an aspect of product development that money can't fix? attitude. Yeah, I think that, you know, the way people show up and uh, yeah, I think that you can't fix that with money. Uh, okay, cool. Um, uh, how do you ask better questions when it comes to product development? Uh, know your, uh, know the person that you're asking the question of empathy. Empathy. Okay. Um, over the years that you've been in product development, what have you become better at saying no to? <laughs> uh, crazy features that the customers ask when we're trying to get a new customer. <laughs> okay. Uh, any kind of core, like what's like maybe one or two top product lessons that you keep coming back to? Uh, Number one is focus. You know, the more you can focus on a, on a, a user, a segment, a, a market, uh, the better. And uh, number two is uh, communication internally. I think, you know, the more that we can stay on the same page and aligned on like what the the roadmap, the product vision, the our values are, the the more success we'll have, especially when scaling. Okay. Um, if you could only work two hours per week when it comes to what you do product, uh, what would you do with those two hours? 
I would spend an hour listening to my uh, team, uh, both the the people that interact with our our salespeople, our customers that are new customers, and um, a the people who who build the product and and like kind of listen what's happening, um, and then spend another hour kind of writing an email of like what I heard and how I heard it and, and distributing that to the team. Okay, love it. Um, uh, last but not least, what what personal investments have you made into your career that really helped make you better in what you do? Hmm, great question. I, I've sought mentorship. I've uh, I've pursued um, leadership from people that I look up to and admire in the industry, and asked for them to help me solve problems or um, consider new opportunities or, or challenges. And yeah, mentorship, absolutely. Okay. Okay. Cool. Uh, before we wrap up, is there anything you want to uh, share with the audience as like a, a final um, thought? <laughs> yeah, I'd say that, you know, product development should be fun. Innovation should be fun. I've found that the, the attitude of the team, the way that people show up, um, the fun that they have, it is 100% tied back to like feeling that gratification from the value your product creates. There's nothing that's better than posting to our general Slack channel when we get some customer whose life has been changed by our product, you know? There's nothing that's more fun for that developer who like spent six months building this feature to see the customer's eyes light up when they know that it could change the way they think about their work. Like it's, it's so important to really have empathy and understand like who your users are, because then you get those awesome gratifying moments that keep us stoked, you know, that keep us in the mission missionary mode not the mercenary mode. And it's critical. It's critical. I love that missionary mode. Great. Um, Tom, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for coming on our show today. And always thank you to our listeners for tuning in and supporting us. Um, so thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure. And uh, I, I hope that the, the listeners could take something away. We are proud.